Martyrdom is the supreme witness given to the truth of the faith. It means bearing witness even unto death. The martyr bears witness to Christ who died and rose, to whom he is united by charity. He bears witness to the truth of the faith and of Christian doctrine. He endures death through an act of fortitude. Although the signs are present in our own time now that we may be called sometime, but we are witnesses in the sense that we are not afraid to share our, our what we believe, our faith with other people. And I just wonder how many of us would really pass that test if we are called upon to give it. So. Proclaim the message, insist on it in season and out of season, refute falsehood, correct error, call to obedience, but do all with patience and sound doctrine. Martyrdom can come in a lot of different forms, but ultimately it is the final witness to what we believe uh, to be true, you know, especially in the realm of religion and faith. Somebody once said, if it was a crime for you to be a Christian, if the government declared in one way or another that Christianity was no longer allowed in this country, would there be enough evidence for you personally to be convicted? <laughs> or even accused. Or even accused. Here's your host. Good evening and welcome. I'm Tony Miller with KCDM and I'll be your host for the show this evening. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Pastor's Perspective. We are in the fourth week of Ordinary Time and we'll be previewing the Gospel of Matthew for the fifth Sunday of Ordinary Time. And around the table tonight, we have a uh, we have a full seats. Father Marty, welcome. Thank you very much. Good evening, everybody. Father Mike, welcome. Hello, everybody. And Father James, welcome. Hello, everyone. Do you suppose you'll get a call and be called out again tonight? I hope not. You know who we're missing, though? <laughs> who are we missing? Father Dennis. Father Dennis, yeah. The show will just not be the same without There's him. There's an empty chair at the table. And he loves these kind of cold nights. <laughs> he does. And so. And so. True. He could have went out and did a snow angel last night. Yeah, he could have done that when you were doing your I know. priest in a car. But but uh, There's only three priests, though, in the car. Oh, is it? Phillips was smart enough to stay home that night. Well, I that's, I home. that's right, he did. Didn't that's he? why he's retired. <laughs> that's why he's the brains of the outfit. Well, you, well can, you can take your shoes off when you're home. You can't do it here, so. Well, I don't want to smell your feet here. <laughs> Shot number one. It's going to be one of those nights, folks. All right, in our news and notes tonight, uh, this week is National Marriage Week, so all of you married couples out there, Take some time and celebrate your marriage vocation. Um, let's see. We have uh, Catholic Schools Week, Father Mario. Do you want to talk about Catholic Schools? Yeah, this is the week that we um, kind of a week designated to celebrate our Catholic schools throughout the country. And here in Burlington, Des Moines County, we celebrate Notre Dame. So we celebrate our students, our teachers, administrators, parents, grandparents, and all who support our school. And um, we are very, very grateful for that. And I know I'm a product of Catholic schools. I believe Father Mike's a product of Catholic schools. I am. 
Um, nope. I know you didn't have a Catholic school out there. In I was a public Mingo. school kid. You know, so, but we still celebrate and it's a wonderful time for us just to show off a little bit. Mm-hmm. I went, I was kind of half and half. I started out in Catholic schools, went up through fourth grade and then mm-hmm. the farm economy of the seventies kind of derailed the whole thing and understood. We went to public school after that. So mm-hmm. well, here's a fun thing to tell you. So maybe you haven't been out to Notre Dame in a while. Maybe you've always wondered, what does it look like inside Notre Dame? You will have your chance. Not this Sunday, but next Sunday, February 5th, they'll be open for an open house starting at 1 o'clock. So come on out. See what Notre Dame's all about. Come on out. Take a look. Be able to take a tour of the building. Is it 1 o'clock or noon? Because the website today, because I made, we're going to do the announcement for yeah. this weekend, and it said 12 to one thirty. It looks like we're going 12 to one thirty. so come on out. <laughs> all right. I just want to make sure I got it right, so... I'm not getting phone calls. And you know what the best part of the open house is? What's that? Donuts! They're having donuts. That's the best part. We'll have to go, Father James. You have donuts. <laughs> Why not the best part be able to you know, see the chapel or maybe see Father James's office out there? Nice. Or, you know what, too? You could view the pictures of past graduating classes with the chaplain, Father Mike Phillips, a younger picture. We just hope you recognize it. Very young picture. <laughs> Everybody thought I was one of the students, but I wasn't. Jeez. <laughs> I think somebody got arrested for that this week. <laughs> Thankfully not at Notre Dame. No. And speaking of Notre Dame, uh, you have a new addition to the staff out there? Yes, but before we get to that, let's oh. do, um, for Catholic Schools Week, we do have the um, All Deanery Catholic Schools Week Mass oh, with Bishop okay. Sincula. Um, it'll be on Wednesday, February 1st at 10 o'clock down at Holy Trinity in Fort Madison. And parishioners are invited if you want to make the trek down. Wonderful. Yes. And the bishop's coming down for it. Mm-hmm. Very good. Yes. All right. And so we do have a, a new head principal at Notre Dame. Mrs. Katie Frakes is our new head principal. She's our elementary principal this year, assistant principal. And we're excited to have Mrs. Frakes as our um, head principal starting next year. We thank Bill Maupin for his years of service for us as head principal at Notre Dame, and he will be going into retirement, but he's not going to go far. He's moving down the hall to become a history teacher at Notre Dame. Oh, there you go. That would be good. I taught Mr. Maupin when, when uh, I was out of there as a, you know, on the faculty, so that's quite interesting. Well, very Time good. goes around. <laughs> what goes around comes around. Well, it's coming back again. Absolutely. <laughs> there you have it. Does that mean you're going to go out and start teaching at Notre Dame? I don't know. I might be seen more frequently in the halls out there if I can just find out where to go, you know. Well, if you come on out February 5th. I'll be out one, there February 5th. 12 to 1.30. You'll I'll be there. Are you going to be there too? I'm going to be out there. Because everybody wants to meet Father Flattery. You bet. So that would be good. And everybody wants to see where Father Phillips' old office used to be. <laughs> yes, you got a right. prime location. Oh, yeah. It is a very nice facility. Yeah, it is. Yes, it is. And our kids are going to lead it, so that's good. That's great. And then the other thing we've got coming up uh, this week is St. Blaise. Mm-hmm. St. Blaise's uh, feast day is on February the 3rd. It's a Friday, so we'll bless throats after the 8 o'clock Mass on Friday morning. And also the day before at Notre Dame, so on February 2nd. And then on the weekend of February 4th and 5th, we're going to bless throats at all the Masses. So, 
It'll be a, a very busy weekend that weekend. Get your throat blessed and then head out to Notre Dame to Absolutely. see the school. It's going to be some quick throat blessing to get out there by noon. It's going to have to be a short homily. <laughs> that depends on who's preaching. Well, well Father Phillips, if it's you, they won't be able to get out there by one thirty. <laughs> <laughs> Shot number one coming back the other way. All right. But no, we do. Um, also that weekend, the weekend of the 4th and 5th, uh, Mrs. Frakes is going to introduce herself to the parish and invite cool. folks out for the open house. So Wonderful. that'll be very good. Wonderful. Well, that'll be fun. Mm-hmm. All right. And then, uh, Father Marty, did you want to talk a little bit about some of the changes happening in the churches? Well, um, really, we had something big happen at St. Mary's and Patrick's. I'm kind of excited about this. So we uh, we replaced the risen Jesus um, behind the altar with the crucified Jesus. And so um, I know a lot of us, you know, like the resurrected Jesus because, you know, there's no suffering or anything like that. But to get the Easter Sunday, you've got to go through Good Friday. And also the other thing too, and I think sometimes we lose sight of this, is that the Mass is a sacrifice. And Jesus sacrificed himself for us, and it's a strong reminder for us um, what he did for us and what the martyrs also did. So, Yeah, I went out to Mass Tuesday night and noticed the Notice the change. I was. I like it. I, I think that's neat. Um, all right. Well, that does our news and notes. We'll move on to get started with the show. Father Mike, do you have an opening prayer for us? Happy to give it. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, as we gather here again this week, still in the shadow of the Beatitudes and of the Sermon of the Mount, give us the grace to live these Beatitudes and the Sermon, all of the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. Help us to be faithful to the teaching of your son and always to be worthy of his promises. We ask all of this through the Immaculate Heart of Mary and Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father Mike. Well, tonight the posse will discuss Matthew's reading for the fifth Sunday in Ordinary Time, and that's chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. And in this reading, uh, Jesus continues his Sermon on the Mount, and he talks about um, salt losing its taste and hiding our light under a bushel basket. So, Father Marty, or no, Father James, you have our reading tonight, correct? I do. All right. I do. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Glory, Glory to, to you, o Lord. Lord. Jesus said to his disciples, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its taste, with what can it be seasoned? It is no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city set on a mountain cannot be hidden, nor do you light a lamp and then put it under a bushel basket. It is set on a lampstand where it gives light to all in the house. Just so, your light must shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your heavenly Father. The gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father James. That was a short reading, wasn't it? It was a short one. That, they didn't even give me an option for a long one. That's, that's what you get. <laughs> so why does Jesus use salt and talk about salt losing its taste? Why is salt so important? I think what Jesus tries when he teaches, he will use something that's very familiar to the people. And in those days, um, salt not only added taste, but it was also a preservative. 
And so I think he uses salt and light um, because, you know, especially, you know, put it under a bushel basket um, because those were two very common things to the people that he would be talking to. And in those days, um, it could be argued that salt was actually more important than gold and silver because without salt, you couldn't preserve your food. And Yeah, and probably back then there wasn't exactly the refining techniques that we've advanced in modern age with. The one thing I find interesting about this gospel is, and um, I'm guilty of this, because um, I've, I've kept my homilies for the last, since about 2009, 2010. That's got to be a big file in the cabinet. Well, it's a big file on my computer. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but it's interesting because when I, I go back and look at, at what I've done, um, and that's, and two is so I don't repeat myself, is that my homily is always on this Sunday focused on being the light. You know, I, mm-hmm. I, I usually gloss over that first part about salt and go the light. Um, I'd be curious to hear what you two do, you know, about that. Or this is your first time preaching this as a priest, isn't it? It is. So, so what are you going to do? Well, so you, guys, <laughs> you have the theme of light that runs rampant. So you have in the first reading, then your light shall break forth like the dawn, and your wound shall quickly be healed. And their sponsor of psalm we hear, the just man is a light in darkness to the upright. So we have that whole idea of light, you know, playing that idea of light and Kind of reminds me of back, you know, for first reconciliation, you know, we talked with the kids and kind of walked through that whole idea of at baptism, you know, your parents receive the light of Christ, you know, that to be burning brightly and and to help them to allow that to burn brightly for you as a child, you know, as, as you as a baby, there's not much you can control, you know, you're hungry, you want food and, you know, and things like that. And it's that idea that they help you along that journey and help you to keep that candle burning brightly. But as we get older, well, oftentimes we can fall into sin just like Adam and Eve. We begin to kind of go like, well, I really want things for me. Me, me, me. And we begin to shield that candle and so that others can't see the light of Christ in us. And it's that opportunity for us when we go back to the sacrament of reconciliation to kind of be able to take those blinders off our candle because it's a heck of a lot easier walking with light than it is in the darkness. Like, think about like when you go camping. There's a full moon. You can pretty much walk back to your campsite, all right, with a full moon. If you don't have a moon, well, it's going to be a rough go back to the campsite. <laughs> you might hit a few trees along the way. I think light and salt are two things that we forget about building on what Father just said. You know, we we need light. If, if you don't have the light, if the lights go out in your house and electricity goes out in your house in the nighttime, or if you just get up to use the bathroom and not turn on the light, you stumble all over the place. Uh, we take light for granted, you know. Since electricity became common and normal, uh, we just take it for granted. Same thing with Saul. First thing I do, and I know I shouldn't do it. This is a kind of a night for confessions following Father Marty's admission there to some faults. Uh, I put salt on my food before I even taste it because I have this <laughs> craving for salt. I need it, you know. And I know those doctors out there are saying, you really don't need it. There's enough salt in your food already. But uh, it's, no, it's no accident that at the very tip of our tongues, there is that little uh, receptacle that registers salt. And if that's not working, uh, you're, you're, you're kind of cheated out of something very important in the taste of your food, even if you don't need it, you know, medically. 
Uh, it's still something that spices the food up. It makes it taste better and all the rest of it. I even put salt in my beer. I don't know if that's a good thing to do or not. But uh, I beg your pardon? Yes, I do. When I have a beer, which is very infrequent. You put salt in I your beer? I put salt in my beer. Like how much salt are we talking here? Regular table salt. No, like how much? Well, not very much. Are we talking like the amount of salt they put out on like Division Street out here? No, 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 no. If, you, if you see me kind of wandering around aimlessly, you know I put too much salt in my beer. But, uh, <laughs> it, gives it, it gives it a little nip. It gives it a little, uh, a little taste, a little jab there. Is there any food you won't put salt in? Um, ice cream. <laughs> I don't put salt in my ice cream. I try once in a while to put a little salt in my coffee, which is kind of strange too. People huh. find that weird. But I, I love salt. I crave salt. Sounds like a great Christmas gift. We'll get you a big old bag of salt. A bag of salt. Well, I got coal last year, so that'll go well, I'm sure. That's a new one on me, Father Mike. I, I, I've heard of that. I've never heard of people putting salt in their beer. I've heard of, what do you want, egg in your beer? But I've yeah. never heard salt. Well, you know, a lot of people put peanuts in their beer. You mm -hmm. know, these salty peanuts, and they just get a handful and put it right down the nozzle mm -hmm. of the beer. So... Uh, it does something to it. it. It just sparkles it up a little bit. I think the other thing about this gospel too, and it's, um, I, and I think you kind of take it on the, on the tone that you read it, mm -hmm. because I think there's, there's one of two ways that you can take this. And that is when Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. So he can say it, Hey, follow James, follow Mike. You're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. Hey, that's a compliment. Yeah. Or is it Jesus challenging us to say, "You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world." That's right. Huh. Is it a, is it an encouragement? You know, hey, look what you've done. Or is it a challenge mm -hmm. to be salt and light? Or is it a hey to live up to? People it. are going to be walking all over you. That's all you're going to be the salt that's getting thrown at you. <laughs> True. <laughs> Trampled underfoot. Yep. Now here's a question for you, Tony. Like, how much salt do you put on your stuff? Because we see, we hear what Father Phillips thinks. Do you put salt in your beer? No. How about in your in your coffee? No. Right. No, my my cardiologist would murder me if I did that. <laughs> no, the only thing I put salt on directly is butternut squash. Really? Yeah. I, that is, my wife puts salt on tomatoes, and I just can't see that. I do the same thing. I but, put sugar in tomatoes, but too. Butternut squash and spinach. I'll put a little salt on spinach, too, but those, that's wow. the do two. You put, do you put salt on popcorn? Here's the one for Father James. You know? well, usually usually <laughs> the popcorn you get now, the microwave popcorn, has enough salt in it that's already bad. for me. Well, most food has enough salt in it, but it doesn't satisfy some people's cravings. You know, so. so this is a Marty Tangent. Okay. I would prefer not to have salt on my popcorn. I'd like to add it myself if I'm going to do it. True. Because last Friday I was at a basketball game and at my niece's game. Mm -hmm. And um, they did not have salt on the popcorn. It was some of the best popcorn I've had all year. Really? And I've also had popcorn that I had at Notre Dame where you feel like you need to drink two bottles of pop just to finish the one bag of popcorn. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's so salty. If you're not tasting your food before you salt it, that's a cardinal sin. That's a bad thing. That's and a I bad confess thing. to it. I confess to it. <laughs> that's a bad thing. So, <laughs> All right. Now that we have the uh, dinner table conversation finished, <laughs> uh, that'll wrap up our discussion of Sunday's gospel. Uh, for those who are just tuning in, we have uh, Father Marty, Father James, and Father Mike gathered around the table tonight. Thanks for joining us for the show. We're happy you tuned in. 
And we're going to move on to the second part of our show tonight. And our topic for tonight is the Martyrs for the Faith. Uh, we're going to talk about martyrs. And I, I thought it was interesting this morning. And I don't know if you noticed, Father Marty, when you did your catechism in a year this morning. Maybe you haven't done it yet. I have not done it and, yet. And so, so um, But uh, when we got down to the, um, they were talking about the credos and the creeds this morning. And when Father Mike Schmitz got down to the last two, three minutes of the show, he talked about martyrs. And so I had one of those Holy Spirit moments. I don't get those often, but when I do, they're pretty obvious. And I just wanted to play what Father Mike had to say about the martyrs. I get so moved by the reality of the martyrs. Like right now, there are people, literally right now, there are people who are suffering for the fact that they are Christians. Like right now in this world, you know, been more, there have been more martyrs in the 20th century than in all other previous centuries combined. So martyrdom of believers is, is, not, is not a thing of the past. In fact, it's a thing literally right now of the present. There is someone, there are many people maybe even, in the world right now who are suffering. Why? Because they believe exactly what you and I believe. For most of us who get to listen to this, we just get to like say, yeah, I believe that. And I want to live that. I want to pursue the Lord God with my whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. I want to love him with everything. There are people who believe exactly what you and I believe. And because of that, they are now being persecuted. They are now being tortured. They're in the midst of incredible injustice. And the only difference between them and us is their situation. The only difference between them and us is the people around them. Because they believe exactly what we believe. We could hold up that symbol on, right? We could hold up that broken seal to them and it would match with ours. And so we need to pray for them for sure. Okay. I thought that was a very good reflection on the martyrs. How did Father Father Mike know we're talking about martyrdom tonight? It, it's the Holy Spirit. I'm, I'm telling you, it's, it's just one of those things. Are you telling me it's the Holy Spirit? Or could Father Mike Schmitz be a fan of Pastor's, Pastor's Perspective? perspective? Ooh. That's a possibility I had not considered. <laughs> there he goes. So let's start off with what is a martyr? Ooh, I can take that one because it says so right here in the Catechism. So martyrdom is the supreme witness given to the truth of the faith. It means bearing witness even unto death. The martyr bears witness to Christ who died and rose, to whom he is united by charity. He bears witness to the truth of the faith and of Christian doctrine. He endures death through an act of fortitude. And I quote St. Ignatius of Antioch, let me become the food of the beast through whom it will be given me to reach God. And then in 2474, the church has painstakingly collected the records of those who persevered to the end in witnessing to their faith. These are the acts of the martyrs. They form the archives of truth written in letters of blood. It's almost like he found that definition in the catechism. And I did. <laughs> Next year, join me for... The Catechism in a Year with Father Marty Getz. No, just <laughs> And then we can take a break there. <laughs> yes. Okay. The one word that Father Marty just used over and over and over again was witness or witnessing. Comes from the Greek word materion, which means witness. And uh, so that's the essential characteristic of a martyr is that he or she is a witness in this case, to the faith, to the to the gospel of Jesus Christ, to the moral teaching of the church, to what we believe as members of the church, we're witnesses. We're all called to be witnesses. 
Some witnesses are red martyrs, meaning that they are willing to go so far as to shed their blood for their active witness. So that's what we're normally referring to when we call a martyr a martyr. Some witnesses, like the rest of us, hopefully, are white witnesses. And that means that we haven't shed our blood yet. We haven't been called upon to do so. Although the signs are present in our own time now that we may be called sometime. But we are witnesses in the sense that we are not afraid to share our or what we believe, our faith with other people. And I just wonder how many of us would really pass that test if we are called upon to give it. So That was something Father James and I talked about last week. Um, on the 21st of January, um, I'm trying to think of what day that is, Saturday, um, it was the feast day of St. Agnes, Virgin and Martyr. And um, our office of readings that day was from a treatise on virgins by St. Ambrose Bishop. And I just want to read a, a, a paragraph or two. Today is the birthday of a virgin. Let us imitate her purity. It is the birthday of a martyr. Let us offer ourselves in sacrifice. It is the birthday of St. Agnes, who is said to have suffered martyrdom at the age of 12. The cruelty that did not spare her youth shows all the more clearly the power of faith in finding one so young to bear it witness. And one of the questions I asked Father James, you know, um, could, you know, could we do something like that at the age of 56, 33, 79? I don't know how old, 61. So, you know, just that, just that, you know, that faith and the fortitude, mm -hmm. the perseverance and the faith that it would take to be a martyr, I think is just amazing. You know, Marty, the test of that today, it's kind of a scary thing to even bring up, but you could find out the answer to your question is whether or not when our faith is challenged directly to us, are we willing to stand up for it? Are mm -hmm. we willing to defend our faith? Mm -hmm. Are we willing at least to explain why we believe what we believe? And I think a lot of people today would rather not get involved. You know, they have all kinds of reasons, they say, for not getting involved. But rather than stand up and defend what they believe, they would rather shy away. Well, just think of how, how many people don't feel comfortable just even you know, saying a prayer before they eat out in a restaurant. Sure. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. The you know what I always do? I always, I always, whenever I see a family, especially, but a group of people, two people at least, and they take time to visibly pray. You know, I don't mean audibly in the sense of disturbing other people, but you can tell that they're praying before they eat. I usually, before I leave the restaurant, if they're still there, I go over them, over to them. And uh, I just say, I just want to thank you for praying out loud, you know, for giving thanks before you eat. Sometimes I don't even introduce who I am. I just make it a very casual comment as I'm leaving the end. They probably look at me like, who does this guy think he is? <laughs> but, uh, I'm, really, I'm really edified to see that kind of public example of faith. Mm -hmm. And I think the uh, antiphon for the canticle of Zechariah for today's feast day, mm -hmm. um, Timothy and Titus said it all. Proclaim the message... Insist on it in season and out of season. Refute falsehood, correct error, call to obedience, but do all with patience and sound doctrine. Amen. If you become, if you are martyred for the faith, you automatically become a saint. Is that correct? You're considered, yeah. Well, not automatically become a saint. You're not enrolled in the in the the, the calendar of the saints like a canonized person would be. But martyrdom is the quickest way to get to heaven. 
You know, if you want a quick way to get to heaven, find a way that you can be martyred. Uh, <laughs> yeah. There's not a long line of people waiting for that. <laughs> option, say, it's but, an, uh, it's an awfully permanent is, solution. It's but. a permanent solution. Uh, but uh, if, if a person in examining their life, if their martyrdom goes along with their orthodoxy in faith and in their moral life, certainly it's a, it's a quick trip to, to being a canonized saint. There are a lot of martyrs that are not martyrs of the Catholic Church, too. We have a whole gang of, the gang's the wrong word, a whole group of uh, martyrs of the Anglican faith. And we have a whole group of martyrs of other Protestant groups uh, that are not canonized in the Catholic calendar. But they're no less martyrs to the faith. Yeah, I was surprised at how many martyrs there are. I mean, there's tens of thousands of martyrs. Absolutely. Uh, not just Catholic, but Christian and Orthodox and Jewish and... You just think of like some of the early missionaries to the United States, you know, sure. to North America. Here they are trying to spread the faith. And for some of them, the Native Americans weren't so thrilled on this idea, you know, and would ultimately be killed for their faith. It doesn't mean they're capital S saint. You know, we believe that they'd be in heaven, you know, sure. if they follow the will of God in their lives. But it's, you can't. You can't necessarily go like, all right, I'm intentionally going to go to this place because I know I'm going to die because I'm a Catholic. Like, sure. You can't go there knowing like, all right, I'm going to go and die. But I know I'm going to you know, become a saint because of it. Like, that's the wrong idea. Not necessarily true. Okay. Yeah. So was the Catholic Church born out of martyrdom? Could that be said? Is that a fair statement? I would say yes. I would say yes, too. You know, the blood of martyrs planted the seeds of the faith. Because the when I I I found on the internet I found a the the top three hundred and fifty most famous martyrs <laughs> and, and the the number one uh, on that list was Jesus Christ. Technically, Jesus Christ was martyred for the faith, right? For his faith. Well, he was martyred martyred in the sense that he gave the ultimate witness. He's the martyr par excellence. In other words, he he defines what martyrdom is. Uh, the witness, of course, was not to the faith so much as it was to the will of his heavenly Father. And so he fulfilled the will of the Father in dying for us on the cross. So it would be unusual probably in our common parlance to refer to Jesus as a martyr, but he certainly is the example of all martyrs, right? Okay. And then the, the first martyr was St. Stephen. And uh, attending that and cheering the crowd on, uh, he was stoned to death, as I recall. Yes, correct. And the um, uh, Saul, who later became the Apostle Paul, was there at his martyrdom and was cheering the crowd on. Speaking of Paul, the Apostles, uh, let's see, St. Paul, St. Peter, Andrew, they were all martyred with, by crucifixion, just like Jesus was. Paul was not. Paul was not? No, Paul was uh Paul was beheaded um in Rome. Uh Peter Andrew were um of course crucified. Um Bartholomew was uh filleted to death. James, I believe, um uh was beheaded. Um there's others too, you know, like um, the only apostle that was not martyred was John, although that was not because of lack of trying, because they tried to boil him in oil, and that didn't work, so they uh, exiled him to Pathos, okay. you know, so he was the only one who did not die a martyr. 
but the others did. And it could have been from arrows. I don't remember who was with arrows um, beheading. Um, I believe one was thrown off the um, temple in Jerusalem. I think that was the other James head of the church. You know, Philip um, was crucified upside down. Um, Matthew, we believe, um, while offering mass, was martyred. St. Thomas was stabbed to death. Matthias, it, it said, one legend said he was crucified. Another that he was hacked to death. So I think one was clubbed. Yeah, they were all martyred. All of the apostles except for John were martyred. Yes. So then were all the apostles popes like Peter? No. Peter was the only pope of the apostles. Really? And in one of the questions that I got stumped on for uh, um, Stump the Clergy Night as part of our cafe was, who was the longest serving pope? And it's actually St. Peter. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Yeah. How long did he serve for? Well, they think from about 32, 33 to 64. So. Oh, wow. Yeah. Because Clement came next and then Linus and then a few others. Still reminds me of one of my favorite Catholic questions. You think you're so Catholic, name me 16 popes. Oh, Benedict. (laughs) 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 That's all I got to say about that. And, (laughs) And of course, you can't talk uh, about martyrdom uh, without mentioning the Colosseum in Rome during the first persecution of the church. And back in those days, uh, simply refusing to burn incense to idols was a crime punishable by being thrown to the beasts. Mm-hmm. That was a tough time to be a Catholic. Oh, yeah. One of my uh, favorite, or not favorite things, but something that people don't realize. So here in about a month, um, we're going to send our catechumens to the right of election in Davenport. And as part of that, they signed the book, The Right of Elect. And they had to do that back in the third century, too, knowing good and well that if that book fell into the wrong hands, they could read that name in there of someone who says, I want to be baptized. Um, They could be hunted down and put to death. So when they signed their name, they were actually, in a way, signing a death warrant. So about 313. Then it gets a little easier with the Edict of Milan. Yes. Where the Roman Empire then begins to look favorably on Christianity. Was that Const- or Constantine mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That, that made that change? Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. And he actually became Catholic, didn't he? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. One of the things we might point out here would be good. Father just used the term catechumen in the Catholic Church. It's an old term, but in the church today, we use that term for those people who have not been baptized anything and who are seeking admittance into the Catholic Church. So if you're out there thinking about, well, well, I think maybe I'd like to be a Catholic someday. I've never been baptized anything. I've never, I, I consider myself a Christian, but I've never gone through the rite of baptism. You would be coming into the Catholic Church as a catechumen. And then usually on Holy Saturday night, although it can be done anytime during the year, that you would be received into the church and you would be baptized. If you're already baptized something else, like a Lutheran or a Presbyterian or a Methodist or a Baptist, you would be called a candidate and you wouldn't be rebaptized because we recognize the baptism of all these Christian traditions, but you would be received into admittance into the Catholic Church. 
And so I just want to make that distinction for people out there that are wondering about these terms that we, we just kind of use mm-hmm. without thinking. Well, that, like, you just think of, like, the process now is sped up considerably compared to, you know, back in the day when, you know, it was a three-year process. Yeah. And now, you know, it's kind of a, what, nine months probably, about mm-hmm. a school mm-hmm. about a school year kind of a process, mm-hmm. you know, for you to go from not being baptized at all to kind of journeying along and learning and building those relationships with a sponsor and, you know, with the OCIA team so that ultimately, you know, your yes can be a true yes at the Eastern. Yeah, what, what does that OCIA mean? Yeah. So we're just throwing all sorts of acronyms all out. What we, just, we know from our own experience, <laughs> yeah. but there's a lot of people out there that you got to go through the ocean in order to become a Catholic. What is OCIA? What is that? Or you got to go across the RCIA, pond. I guess. Mm-hmm. You got to go across the pond. Got to go across. The pond. <laughs> so it used to be called RCIA, which was the Rite of Christian Initiation for Adults. Um, the the rites are beginning to be updated, and so now they've shifted from it being called the Rite to the Order of Christian Initiation for Adults. Yeah. And when we say initiation, that doesn't mean like you know. You're being initiated into some kind of fraternal organization or sorority or sorority or something like that. It just means initiation comes from the initio, and it just means to a beginning. You're you're starting a new beginning in your life, and in order to do that, you've got to be prepared. Uh, and so the reason that it takes eight or nine months is so that you will learn the basic teachings of the faith, so that you can be in a position to accept them. Mm-hmm. And so, like here at the parish kind of our lead, our contact for the Order of Christian Initiation for Adults is Deacon Gary Johnson. So he's he's the one that's kind of taking that on and journeying along. And then he has created a team of parishioners to help journey along with these individuals. And they have the function of teaching about the various aspects of the faith. And we as priests come in if they need us to help us out in explaining different things about what it means to be a Catholic and what are, what's the significance of all the different so-called Catholic things. Uh, it's a very interesting, I taught it for years and years, and it's a very interesting process, and it brings people very close together, and uh, after they go to two or three meetings, they feel very comfortable about joining the church. Very good. Uh, Father Marty, you talked earlier when you, when you read the passage about uh, female martyrs. Um, you mentioned that most of the female martyrs are virgins. A lot of them are, a lot of not them all. Are, not all of them. Yeah. Um, and I, I read a thing that said that the female martyrs are usually depicted holding a palm frond in their hands. Have you heard that? The only one I've only seen one or two with a palm branch. Yeah, um, too, I think I Agnes and Agatha, maybe, yeah. but yeah, I don't know the okay the real significance. Yeah. So that's not a universal thing. So some of the female martyrs that I, uh, of course, one of probably one of the most famous female martyrs is Joan of Arc. And Joan of Arc was burned at the stake. And she was French, I believe. Right. Uh-huh. And so she was opposing the French government at that time? No, she was opposing the English. The English. The English. The French government was in opposition to the English. They were at war with each other. And she was captured by the English and put to death by the English with the approval of the French authorities because she had her problems with the French as well, even though she was French. Well, being burned at the stake would not be a fun way to die. No. So here, I got an answer for you here. Classical art used two symbols signifying victory, the palm branch and the crown of flowers. 
So it's kind of a borrowed from, you know, Greek mythology. Because it says here the goddess Nike brings the two symbols to the winner of an athletic contest. And then they also represent Christian victory over sin and death. And that's um, based on passages in Paul's epistles that compare the Christian life to a race for a prize or crown. Hmm. Okay. So is that how the Notre Dame got its Nike's identity? Right. Is there a Greek goddess? Right. Yes. <laughs> and I was there when it happened, believe it or not. I'm that old. I can remember we had a, a big controversy at the time when we were trying to figure out, when the, the people in charge were trying to figure out what kind of, uh, oh, what do you call it, the, the symbol that we would have. Yeah. And they chose Nike because it sounded very close to Notre Dame. Nike would have went well together. Uh, but also it was the Greek goddess. And so there are a lot of people locally who felt that it was wrong for a Catholic school to adopt a Greek goddess <laughs> as their patron. And uh, we went through two or three weeks of real controversy about that in 1956 and 57. But eventually, uh, when they drew the image of the little Nike, cute little baby image, baby face, everybody kind of fell in love with little Nike. And so everyone kind of died out. Kind of died out. You can sell that little Nike every so often in images of Notre Dame. He's, he's kind of a retired figure. Oh, really? Yeah, now it's the, the ND with the gold halo. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's more Christian. Probably. And when I was on my pilgrimage to Greece in 2019, of course, they showed us the statue of the, the print, or, you know, Nike, the goddess. And I said, hey, there's Nike, our, our school mascot. And the guide says, typical American, pronouncing it wrong. <laughs> How did he pronounce it? Nikkei. Nikkei. Huh. Nikkei. That would be so we're the fighting Nikkeis. <laughs> yeah, we're not over in Europe. That we're is true. Yeah. Hey. hey. We'll put that on a cheer. Right. That's true. Some other prominent female saints um, were uh, St. Agatha, St. Lucy, St. Agnes, which you already talked about, St. Cecilia and Anastasia. And the the thing that surprised me about that group of saints was they were rich, they were nobles, they were poor, uh, and they were slaves, but they all died for their belief in Christ. And that's what made them Christian martyrs. And then the other two that I want to talk about specifically are Perpetua and Felicity. Perpetua and Felicity, their big sin was simply becoming Catholic in the third century. Uh, That's the thing that ultimately got them martyred. The thing I like about Perpetua and Felicity is they are actually mentioned in the Eucharistic prayer. And I don't know which one it is. It's Eucharistic prayer number one. And um, I I always like Father James's comment from when they were learning it back in the seminary. So here's the story. So here we are, we're in mass practicum class. The teacher asked one of our students to get up there and to use Eucharistic prayer one and just, you know, say it, you know, cel- you know, celebrate it in front of the class. Well, so in there, there's a list of saints, but there's also li- saints in parentheses. So there's kind of a, a long form and a short form. Well, so the seminarian thought it to himself, well, I'll save us some time. I'll, you know, we can get out of class a little earlier today. <laughs> so he decided to leave out the other saints and cut out the other princes. So the priest goes, uh, if you're going to do Eucharistic prayer one, you're going to do them all. Don't shortchange the saints. <laughs> Good. There you have it. And in Eucharistic prayer one, in the parentheses, you do have Ignatius, Alexander, Marcellinus, Peter. Then you get Felicity, Perpetua, Agatha, Lucy, Agnes, Cecilia, Anastasia, and all your saints. You so that is all of them then. 
That's all that's listed, but it's and all your saints. Mm-hmm. And when I was when I was looking up the the list of saints that I just gave and perpetual and felicity, when I got to perpetual and felicity, I went, "That's the Eucharistic prayer that they say at Mass." Do you remember? Uh, I know Father James would not. We used to have a priest in our diocese. Um, he's no longer with us. Father Beakley. Mm-hmm. And he uh, he actually wrote a litany of the saints that he did on the guitar. And um, they did on what? The guitar. Guitar. The guitar? Yeah, the guitar. He's from Kierkock. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be coming out of neutral status here before long. Um, uh, but uh, Sweden is about to end. Yes. Uh, when, he, uh, when he would sing it, he'd sing the litany of the saints. It would be. Saints Perpetua and Saint Felicity pray hey, hey, for us. I always remember that one from that. So very good. Yep. Father James is rolling his eyes now. Thank God you. rest his soul. Yep. Okay. Well, then we we mentioned uh, a blessing of throats for Saint Blaise, and Saint Blaise is actually uh, one of the martyrs that made my list. When Blaise would not sacrifice to pagan gods, he was suspended from a tree and his flesh torn from his body Mm. with iron combs. Awful. Finally, they had to behead him because that didn't kill him. Can you imagine all of the the, the terrors and pains and sufferings that all these saints went through, these martyrs went through? It's just, just to experience one of them, you know, would be enough for all of us to kind of run away. But they, they willingly endured them for the sake of the church. That's how deep their faith was, you know. So where does the the tradition of blessing throats from St. Blaise, where does that come from? The uh, legend is, is that either he was in prison or he was in a cave. Um, we don't know. But uh, um, either the, uh, the son of a guard was choking on a fishbone and Blaise healed him. I always say it was the first time the Heimlich maneuver was used. But um, uh, <laughs> the spiritual Heimlich, yes. But and for so in Thanksgiving, um, they gave him two candles to keep warm and to read by. So that's why we cross the candles and have the blessing of of Saint Blaise. Okay, and that's coming up, right? Yes, it'll be this uh, Friday. And another interesting thing about blessings like this: anybody who believes can in the Catholic Church. Uh, even though you're not a member of the Catholic Church, can receive one of these blessings. So if you come to church on on the Feast of St. Blaise and they offer the blessing of St. Blaise, the blessing of throats, we call it, uh, you can come forward and uh, and receive that blessing from the priest or from the appointed minister of, of that. So uh, I just think that's important to mention because a lot of times people get confused. They say, well, I'm not Catholic and I'm not able to receive the Eucharist yet, but you certainly can receive that blessing. And, and Blaze is also the patron saint of wool combers. Yes, he is. Mm-hmm. The other thing, too, that's interesting, he was also a physician. So that might have a little bit to do with sure, it, sure it as well, too. So I've actually, um, I just looked it up. Uh, I've actually been to the Church of St. Blaze in uh, Croatia. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, really? Yeah. I tried to get the St. Blaze candles there, but they no longer sell them. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. So, yeah. So we can, uh, I want to wrap up the, the saints from, or the martyrs from uh, the, the pre-modern times, I guess would be the way to say it. And we'll end it up with uh, Thomas Beckett, also known as St. Thomas of Canterbury. When I was researching him, he was the, the Archbishop of Canterbury and was martyred 
um, for opposing the king, mm -hmm. I guess. Mm -hmm. And from what I can gather, there were several archbishops of Canterbury. Uh, that was a very dangerous position to hold um, in the 13th, 14th, and 15th centuries because uh, it seemed like a lot of the archbishops were actually martyred. Um, well, it was the conflict between the church and the state in England at the time, and this was before Henry VIII, but uh, there was a lot of uh, controversy between what the church was doing and what the state wanted to do. And uh, so to have that position of being the Pope's personal representative to the, to the kingdom was dangerous. Let's move up to the 20th century. Uh, Catholic News Agency had an article that cited on the island in Rome's Tiber River, there's the Basilica of St. Bartholomew, and that's, that basilica is devoted to the Christian martyrs of the 20th century. And some people argue the 20th century is probably the bloodiest century in, hist in, in history. Why was the 20th century a time of great martyrdom? Well, you look at all of the people who died for what they believed in, uh, especially Christians in the 20th century. You look at the great persecutions of the church and of religion in general by the Nazis and by the communists especially. And then you see what happened in Africa in our own lifetime. Uh, between the various uh, tribal chieftains and the Christian missionaries and the Christian people. And it's amazing the avalanche of blood that was spilled because of, of their witness to the faith. Now there were, what, six million Jews? Six million killed? and six million. But there were just as many non-Jews who were killed under Hitler and under the communists. And then you come over the big pond over to our own continent and you see the great conflicts in the Mexican government and in, in South America, uh, between adherents of the Christian faith, of Catholic faith, and uh, the secular government. And uh, it very quickly adds up to most martyrs of all time. And, you know, you just think about what happened a couple weeks ago, you know, when someone broke in um, to a church in um, Niger on the west coast of Africa, and, and the priest was burned alive. Mm. You know, there's a martyr for the faith. So, uh, you know, the priest in France who was getting ready for mass, who, you know, was killed by an extremist. And, um, you know, it's, it's just given that witness to the faith. And, of course, one of the more famous um, martyrs from that era was Maximilian Kolbe. Um, and he was a World War II priest um, who volunteered to die in place of a stranger in Auschwitz in 1941. And that was because he gave his life up for somebody else. Our Lord said, "No, there's no greater love than to lay, give, lay down your life for your brother. Martyrdom can come in a lot of different forms, but ultimately it is the final witness to what we believe uh, to be true, you know, especially in the realm of religion and faith. Father Marty's already mentioned today, if we jump ahead to the 21st century, are, are we keeping pace? Are people being martyred at a pace that's going to uh, keep up or equal the 20th century? I hope not. <laughs> that may sound strange. I certainly want as many people to go to heaven as possible. And even though this is the quickest way to get there, uh, I still think it's a sad commentary on the fact that people are willing to kill each other because of their beliefs. Yeah, I read an article online for CatholicMagazine.News article that said in, in Nigeria in the first four months uh, of this century, 1,400 Christians were massacred by extremist groups 
2021, and that broke the record of uh, the 2014 record set. With today's media focus on human rights and freedom, uh, the freedom to be whatever we think we want to be or what we are, uh, why aren't we hearing more about these kind of massacres and these kind of um, people who are dying for their faith in the world? It's a good question. Um, I'm not sure, to be honest. You know, and you know, it tends to be, you know, if it's an individual case, or I hate to say it, kind of a, you know, magnificent way of death. You know, we hear about it, but it's those folks that go, you know, we don't hear a lot about that still give witness to the faith. And, and I, and I think that might be part of the reason. I don't know. I, I haven't really thought about that. So I'm just kind of rambling with that answer there. So. Well, does it, does it maybe have something to do with the fact that we take our, we take our ability to worship in the United States for granted? I think so. Very and, much so. You know, freedom, we always talk about freedom, but freedom is not free. It takes diligence. It takes uh, vigilance to make sure that we maintain our freedoms. And uh, in the United States, we take it for granted, whereas other places, that's not the case. I just worry a little bit about wonder if that should happen in our own country where our basic freedoms are taken away from us. And I think we're in danger of that today in many ways. Uh, how would we react? I, I really, really want Somebody once said, if it was a crime for you to be a Christian, if the government declared in one way or another that Christianity was no longer allowed in this country, would there be enough evidence for you personally to be convicted? <laughs> or even accused. Or even accused. And I, I, I just think that, and I hate to say this because I love people and I don't want to be criticizing people, especially unjustly, but uh, I think we'd see a mass exodus out of the church. I think we'd see a mass exodus of people running away from the title Christian and most certainly from the title Catholic. I really worry, not worry. I mean, I don't think a good Christian should worry. You put your trust in God. But I am concerned about whether or not we take our faith for granted. I just think of like civilization, like even the culture, like how much it's shifted. Like you figure like, you know, kind of in your earlier days, you know, you had full machine on the TV. Sure. Now anymore, like there's a Catholic on TV. He'd never be allowed on TV today. Hmm. And He'd never be allowed to say what he said on TV today. And no. there's definitely the shift now where yeah. now we worry more. We look at sports figures as our idols. Like you think of when Kobe Bryant died. Sure. Yell. That was plastered all over. Right. That's big news. Yeah. Certain things that we believe in, and I won't go into specifics because I don't want to be, I don't want to put this program in jeopardy. But certain things that we believe in in the moral area as Catholics are now considered hate speech by some people, mm -hmm. by people in authority. Mm -hmm. And so we've got to be very we've got to be consumed, uh, considerate of all of that. We as priests are under the gun many times in our homilies. And I don't mean because some of us preach too long. But, uh, <laughs> we, are, we are censored in a way by our society. Some topics we dare not talk about. Right. Because if we do, our society will condemn us. And that just shows us, as Father James just indicated, that uh, uh, our, our, our moral values have changed a lot in, just in our own lifetime. All right. Well, very good. I think that's a good place to, uh, to bring the show to a close. Father Marty, uh, do you have a uh, closing blessing for us? I do. You know, let's just pray that we'll be strong in our faith. 
And of course, we do not have a solemn blessing for martyrs, just saints. So we'll do this. The Lord be with you. May Almighty God watch over you and bless you and keep you strong in the faith, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father Marty. You're welcome. Once again, we have reached the end of the show, a show that was marked by a rather somber subject. As we live our comfortable lives here in the United States, Father Fernando Nestor Gioria wrote, They are being mercilessly persecuted and killed while we quietly enjoy pseudo-normality. We are so blessed to live in this great country. Pastor's perspective for next week, the sixth Sunday in Ordinary Time, will continue where we left off this week in chapter 5 of Matthew's Gospel, and we will be talking about humility. And this is a topic that Father Mike actually requested uh, many shows ago to actually do a top or a show on. So we're going to entertain his request and uh, see what ta- what happens. Until next week, remember, God loves you and has a plan for your life. Get to know Jesus so that he can help you let that plan unfold in your life. We invite you to attend Mass to receive the sanctifying grace to become the person God created you to be. Consider this a personal invitation from us to come home to the Catholic Church. If you are attending Mass, invite someone to join you. I'd like to thank the priests, Father James, thank you. Thanks for having us, Tony. Father Mike, thank It's good to be with you. And Father Mark, Marty, good to be back. It's good to be back. Thanks for listening, everybody. I'd also like to thank you, our listeners, for tuning in. Please join us again next week for another episode of Pastor's Perspective. Until then, don't be bashful. Share Christ with everyone you meet. I'd like to close this episode with a little bit of a departure with this prayer from the end of the Martyrs of the 21st Century article I talked about earlier. May God grant that the blood of these martyrs be the seed of new Christians and produce an abundant harvest for his kingdom. May Jesus and his Holy Mother accompany them. Amen. We'll talk to you next week. Good night and God bless. KCDM would like to let everyone know that if you haven't had a chance to listen to Pastor's Perspective, the shows are posted on our website, kcdmradio.org, and you can hear Pastor's Perspective anytime you have time to listen to them. Drop into the website and give us a listen. You can hear Pastor's Perspective every evening at 9 o'clock after the rosary on KCDM. You can also pick up the show at 5 p.m. on Saturdays and 2 p.m. on Sundays. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. 